keep pushing. Keep pushing, keep pushing. And I need you to be a minister for a moment and find somebody sit, sitting in your general vicinity. Look them dead in the eyes if they owe you $20. And tell them, neighbor, whatever you do, keep pushing. Keep pushing, keep pushing. It's hard to keep pushing in the world that we're living in right now. How is one supposed to find serenity and sanity and strength in the world we live in right now? Hey all and welcome back. Good to be with you again. I'm super excited for our guest today. She is a returning guest and one of the most listened to guests on Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul ever. But before we get to her, I just want to remind you all, I work with individuals, couples, athletes, and one-on-one Zoom sessions. You can head over to www.nicobarraza to inquire more about working with me in a coaching or counseling aspect about some of the things I work on with people, you can read about that on the on the website, and you can also set up a 15-minute free Zoom consultation so we can get to know each other and see if uh, perhaps it's a match for you and for me, and if you're interested in booking some sessions and working with me, I would love the opportunity. Um, so in any event, head over to www.nicobarraza.com to inquire more. Also, if you want to support the show, it means a lot to me when you support it. And a free way you can give back is leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. Just pause the show right now. If you're driving, just remind yourself when you get out of your car, please do this. It helps out a lot. If you just leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're listening to on Spotify, just go to uh, or just go to Spotify and leave a five-star review on Spotify too. Helps us out a ton. Helps the show get up higher in ratings. Helps helps it reach more ears too. Um, just just a huge way you can give back, and it's free and really easy. Um, and then on top of that, if you want to buy some Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul podcast gear, just head over to the website, go to shop. You've probably seen me share some uh, some people that have bought in gear, whether it be you know t-shirts, crop tops, sweatshirts. There's a lot of really cool stuff on there. Um, I'm not just saying it because I think it's cool. It actually is really, really sweet swag. So if you want to rep some Star of the Eagle Feed the Soul gear, it's a great conversation starter. Um, I can see where my t-shirts around and people are always like, hey, where'd you get that t-shirt from? And I have to, I have to tell them, it's a little podcast. Here's the podcast you guys should tune in too. Um, so I'd really appreciate it if you support the show, buy some gear as well too. And if you do, please tag me when you share the photos on social media so I can share photos of you in your sweet Star of the Ego, Feed the Soul gear. So this week's guest, it's her second time on the show, Dr. Lisa Miller. And I'm so excited to talk to Dr. Miller again, because after the first episode with her, we really talked about her book, The Awakened Brain, The New Science of Spirituality, and Our Quest for an Inspired Life. Uh, she is a New York Times bestseller of the, uh, and author of The Spiritual Child. Dr. Miller is an incredible human being. Um, she's done so much work in the realm of science and spirituality, and primarily when I spoke to her last time. We really just spoke about the the scientific research she's done around spirituality and the implications and influence that spirituality plays on the lives of human beings. And so I got a lot of questions specifically from people in the atheist or agnostic realm or people that have left religions. You know, I, I was raised Catholic. I don't associate with Catholicism anymore, and I haven't since I was probably about 16. Um, but and when I started to be spiritual again, I said there was probably about 10 years in my 20s that I was really just atheist or agnostic. That's kind of how I self-identified. And um, as I tried to find my own spiritual practice again, 
you know, myself and a lot of other folks, we had the question of like, okay, so what is a spiritual practice specifically if it isn't defined by a modern religion, right? Because you don't have these, these, um, you know, you, these things you follow, right? These practices you follow. So when you're making your own, where do you start? How do you go about it? Because you can be a very spiritual human being and not have to align with any of the major religions out there. You absolutely can. And in fact, Dr. Miller's whole work basically argues that you should because it really is um, of benefit to your life and to your health specifically um, <clears throat> and to your ability to connect with the human beings as well too and your ability to handle stress. Um, so I pose this question to her, you know, how do we practice modern spirituality outside of a modern religion? And that is primarily what this episode is focused on. It's focused on how to connect with spirit. Um, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that mean uh, in modern society? And Dr. Miller runs us through some exercises and she kind of poses some questions to us as well too. And I was just really appreciative for, you know, her time. She's just such a warm, kind soul. You can tell, uh, you know, she truly is investing her, her life into researching our relationship with the unknown, our relationship with, with spirit, our relationship with interconnectivity. And I have to appreciate that because that is a tall task and a tall thing to research. And I just want to read a little bit of an excerpt from her website here um, when she talks about her book, The Awakened Brain. And it says, it's not just a book, it's a movement. The Awakened Decision is the better decision. With an awakened perception, we are more creative, collaborative, ethical, and innovative. The awakened brain is the healthier brain. An engaged spiritual life enhances grit, optimism, and resilience while providing insulation against addiction, trauma, and depression. The awakened life is the inspired life. Loss, uncertainty, and even trauma are the gateways by which we are invited to move beyond merely coping with hardship to transcend into a life of renewal, healing, joy, and fulfillment. I'm going to go even farther that Deepak Chopra, who I'm sure all of you know, wrote a foreword to Dr. Miller's book. And in that, uh, there's a quote from it that's also on her website. And he says, and I quote, Dr. Miller's cutting edge research heralds a new revolution of health and well-being. The awakened brain is an investigation of the choices we each have in confronting challenges and limitations, and it's a testament to and celebration of the power within. Just incredible words from Deepak Chopra in regards to Dr. Miller's book, The Awakened Brain. So you guys got to go check her book out. If you haven't bought a copy, please do so. Um, I've read it and I'm, I'm going through my second pass already. It's an incredible work. She's an incredible human being. But just a little bit more background about Dr. Miller. If you didn't listen to the first episode, I do recommend going back and listening to the first episode. Um, even even before this one, if you want. Uh, so here's her bio from her website. And just to give you a little bit of background of, of kind of her, her research and where she works. So Lisa Miller is the New York Times bestseller of The Spiritual Child and a professor in the clinical psychology program at Teachers College, Columbia University. She is the founder and director of the Spirituality Mind Body Institute, the first Ivy League graduate program and research institute in spirituality and psychology and has held over a decade of joint appointments in the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University Medical School. Her innovative research has been published in more than 100 peer-reviewed articles in leading journals, including uh, Cerebral Cortex, the American Journal of Psychiatry, and the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. Incredible, incredible work. Uh, Dr. Miller has worked with in the U.S. military. She's worked in, in a ton of different um you know, avenues of professionalism within the U.S. and abroad. And uh, I'm just a huge fan of all the work she does. And it's a blessing to be able to <laughs> share time with her um, and just be in her presence. She's such a calming individual. So I'm glad you all are here. I really 
hope that you reach out if you're interested in work with me one-on-one. And if you're listening to this podcast, chances are we're probably going to connect. So head over to the website if you're interested. Um, again, www.nicobarraza.com. And without further ado, let's get right into the episode. Dr. Lisa Miller. Dr. Lisa Miller, thank you so much for joining me back on Star of the Ego, Feed the Soul. Um, our first recording was beautiful. We had promoted your your new book that had just launched, and uh, it was truly an honor to host you. And uh, I wanted to have you back on to talk about some more things around the science of spirituality and how spirituality integrates into the life of us, the human being. Um, so thank you so much again for coming back on. I know your time is precious, and it is it's such an honor to be here and, and to sit and to speak with you. So, Nico, I am so overjoyed to be back in discussion with you. I loved discussing the awakened brain with you, and now we're going to go deeper in. So it's it's a joy. You really are a, on this path, a fellow journeyer. Thank you so much. It means a lot, especially coming from from you and who you are and, and everything you've done. Um, so, you know, we spoke about this off air about what we wanted to focus on. And I get a lot of questions now since your episode are specifically from people that, um, much like myself had grown up religious and have had a portion of, of leaving the religion. So redefining or, or leaving spirituality altogether, leaving spiritual practice and also a huge group of people that grew up agnostic or atheist, you know, the absence of religion. Um, and a lot of these people were like, well, how do I reconnect with spirituality and redefine it for me? If I don't want to practice the religion I was raised in, or if I'm coming from the agnostic or atheist world and I want to, you know, find something that makes sense for me, that's digestible for me. And, you know, I think that's a, a beautiful question to pose to you because I don't always have the answer for folks. But, you know, since you've done so much work in studying the science around spirituality, you know, how do we how do we reconnect with spirit? How do we reconnect with spirituality? What does that look like in our lives? So may I invite you and our community here into a practice? Absolutely. Okay, beautiful. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, take four breaths, clear out your inner space. I invite you to reflect on a time, identify a time in your own journey, your own path, where there was something that you really, really wanted. I mean, you really wanted it bad. And it could have been a job or a promotion. It could have been an apartment or yes to a date. It could have been some resources. There was something you really, really wanted and you lined things up to get it. So you got A plus B plus B all signed up. You got A, B, C all lined up. It may have been that you strategized, you researched, and you went for that red door. And it absolutely that red door was yours because you did all the work it, fairly. And as you reach for it, you grab the knob and it rattles. It's stuck. And at first, maybe you can't even believe it because strategically, tactically, you were completely on the mark and it's still stuck. And you can't even believe it, but it does start to sink in. And at first, it might be really depressing or infuriating. And you kick the door, but it's still stuck. But 
on time, you have no choice. You shift back. You look around maybe 10 degrees, 30 degrees, 100, 180 degrees. And there, there is a bright yellow, shining open door, wide open. I mean, you may have said you didn't even know yellow doors existed. Mm -hmm. And this open door, it leads to someone more right for you. This leads to a job that you didn't even know was done, and it feels so alive to you. This yellow door is important because it's part of how you got to where you are today. In fact, it might even still be at play for you today. And I want to ask you, as you step back and you look at that stuck red door and the hairpin turn to the yellow door that's been so important in your life, was there anyone who gave you helpful information, told you a story. Maybe it was someone you met for two minutes at the coffee counter, or maybe it was someone, a dear friend or a grandparent who had never before told you a story. Mm-hmm. But was there a helper, a healer, a guide, someone I might call a trail angel at that hairpin turn to help you see it? And now as you step back even further, Stuck red door, hairpin turn, trail angel, and wide open yellow door. How does life really work? How, for the most important parts of our lives, does life really work? And I'm going to ask you one more time to step back even further and look at this road of life and wonder where in this portrait is your higher power? You might say spirit, you might say force of life, you may say God or Jesus, whatever your word is that is in us, through us, and around us, loving, holding, and guiding. And when you're ready, I invite you back. And in your own time and space, you might repeat this two or three more times to see the many beautiful guided hairpin turns that already in your life have marked your journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, you know, I have so many, uh, I mean, I've considered you one of these people now, right? I have so many people that have come into my life and said something profound um, that might not even be in relation to experience I'm experiencing because maybe they don't have any idea of what I'm experiencing, but they say something and immediately it's something, you know, kind of clicks in my mind. Right. And, it, and often it's often they're breadcrumbs. Like they're not always profound moments in the specific time and place, but you know, they trickle in my mind. And then later on I can look back and be like, Oh, Oh wow. I can understand that better now. Right. Um, what do you say to the people that would say that that's just, um, uh, not luck, but let's, let's say like, um, oh, that, that, that's just, you know, that's just human beings. That has nothing to do with, with some else, some other thing existing within us all. In my own path, the likelihood of that trail angel showing up on that day at that inflection point mm-hmm. in my journey is far too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance. Mm-hmm. So as a scientist, I say, well, what are the odds? Um, and I can share with you in my own journey, there have been moments where someone shown up on the bus or someone who I've known for years actually revealed something deeply private that she's never said before. And it's always at a time of enormous traction. Mm-hmm. So the vision of reality that makes sense to me is that we are, of course, separate. We are distinct. We have our own zipped up by a bodysuit. We're a point, and we are 
white caps on one ocean, we are a wave. And when we show up for each other, like rays from the sun, we're emanations from source. Mm -hmm. And in this extraordinarily divinely orchestrated symphony, we all play an incredibly important part for one another as emanations of source, rays from the sun. Absolutely. What, what a beautiful, you have such a way with words that makes me want to like, listen. Um, <laughs> so I can, I can tell obviously you're a professor too, because it's just, you know, you, you speak about this, but you live it as well too. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that comes to mind that, you know, I've even struggled with too is developing a spiritual practice, right? Because when I was young, it was kneel on the pew and pray to God in a Catholic church, right? And then you, you get in line after you get communion and you get, you know, the body of Christ, you drink, the blood of Christ and you go back and sit in your seat and you listen, you know? Um, and so it's this very, you know, controlled, you know, kind of area. And, and, uh, you know, for, for a lot of people, religion still serves a purpose and they connect with it. But for people that, let's say, uh, don't want to practice a, a set religion, how do you, because there's obviously a guideline, like let's say I'm Catholic or I, I practice Islam, right? Or, um, I practice Judaism or Hinduism. There's a set of like guidelines on how to connect with spirit, right? You, there's a book to follow. There's a how to manual, right? Um, but with people that want to connect with spirituality and define it themselves, what are some things like, how do we reconnect with a spiritual practice? Beautiful. So I would say there's three parts that are available to all of us. We are innately, naturally spiritual beings. Every one of us, we know through science, is hardwired with natural spirituality. But it is one-third innate, two-thirds developed. And so how do we engage and practice and build the muscle so that we increasingly step on spiritual bedrock as we walk through life. Mm. And the three dimensions I would share is first what we just did, which is open our eyes to the fact that we do not control our lot 100%. We are not, you know, like Mighty Mouse, the total creators. We have about a little thin layer of icing of control on a big pound cake of flux. So sure, there's a little control, but it is little control against a lot of dynamism and life has energy and guidance of its own. So the first part of the three-part path I would suggest is opening our eyes and moving really from a conversation that may have started, what do I want and how am I going to get it, to shifting our conversation with life to, hey, what's life showing me now? Mm -hmm. What is this force in and through life? Whatever one's word may be, wow. I mean, that shut door, that shut door, that red door was every bit as important to be closed as the yellow one was to be opened. Mm -hmm. I would have never seen the yellow door. Right. And hey, of all days, the trail angel showed up for my hairpin turn. That's quite a gift. So right. when we start to open our eyes to the possibility, just be a little perhaps curious about what is life showing me now? How can I be more kind? How can I be more loving? Should I try perhaps something that had never dawned on me in my life? That's a dialogue. And we move from an illusory control that's not actually valid with the way life actually unfolds mm -hmm. to one of where there's moments of control, but we work in tandem with this dialogue. That is the notion, the living notion that we are all part of one reality, one part of sacred guided reality. So that exercise that we just did together, the road of life, I think opens up that lived sense. And we are hardwired to be able to engage life as a dialogue versus 
command control. Mm-hmm. The second piece gets to, I think what you, you may have been suggesting, Nico, around transcendent awareness, you know, to really be able to look into life at a deeper level or to feel and know at the transcendent level um, the deeper parts of ourselves, both who we are and who we are to one another and what is our relationship to source or force or God, what our word may be. And so may I invite us into a second exercise? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. This is an exercise which I always um, share alongside honoring my teacher, Dr. Gary Weaver, who taught me this exercise. I'm going to invite everyone to close their eyes, take five breaths, and this is about a minute, minute and a half visualization. I invite you to set before you a table. This is your table. And to your table, you may invite anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. Anybody living or deceased who truly has your best interest in mind. And with them all sitting there, ask them if they love you. And now you may invite your higher self, the part of you that is so much more than what you have or don't have, what you've done or not done, your true eternal higher self. And ask you if you love you. And now finally, you may invite your higher power, whatever word is yours, however you know, your higher power. And ask your higher power if they love you. And now with all of these people sitting there right now, all this love, what do they need to tell you now? What do they need to share? What do you need to know? And when you're ready, I'll invite you back. This is your counsel, and they are always there for you. Mm-hmm. Who shows up may change depending on where we are in our path, and we can ask them what's on our heart at that juncture. Mm-hmm. This is your birthright. This is your natural awakened awareness through which you can know and feel and live in a dynamic transcendent relationship. Do you think that part of growing is being conscious of developing that counsel as we age? Because for some Mm -hmm. folks, obviously their, their family might not be in that their caregivers might not be in that counsel, depending on their experience. Right. For me, like my family, like many people in my family are in it, you know, but I, I do have great reverence for people that theirs aren't. And, you know, do you think that's part of the intention we have, um, we should have behind like living our lives is, is to develop 
uh, you know, people in our lives that can, that can be that counsel, both in that exercise, let's say spiritually, but also physically. Beautiful. Nico, that's so beautiful. That the journey of life is an invitation to build counsel, both who shows up and where we hope that we may show up. Right. And people have said to me, you know, I was stunned by who was there. And then I realized, wow, that's mm-hmm. really right. Yeah. You know, someone showed up, a cousin who had passed or a friend from long ago or a teacher. And perhaps there was someone they see every day who didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And so how can we have, as you put so powerfully in our heart, the vision, the new vision to be someone who would show up on our sister or brother's, you know, you, my sister, you, my brother's counsel. Absolutely. And, and how can we be, be a person that, you know, might be of counsel to another, right? As you said, because that's, that's another thing I I consistently, uh, you know, at least in the spiritual practice that I have redefined and use now, uh, you know, in my thirties is that I feel like I'm not only looking for what people can do for me, but how I can serve others. And in that, I've sort of even found a spiritual practice because that, that to me is, is spirit in of itself. It's, it's that trans, you know, position of energy because like, how can I show up um, as unbiasedly and as, and as um, healthily as possible to be of service of others through, through that counsel? That feels to me like pure love. You're not asking them to be anything. You're not asking for anything back. You're saying, how can I show up purely present in this moment as love? Absolutely. That is a profound spiritual practice. I mean, I would even say that's the aim of how we might live through all of our wisdom traditions. Right. Okay. And so, you know, for, for folks that are listening to this and, you know, they're hearing what you're saying and they think about prayer, right? the the function of prayer in spirituality Mm -hmm. you know it's been a long time since i've prayed right because for a long time i didn't know what or who to pray to after i left the catholic faith when i was a young teenager right and so instead of praying to something well i just embodied a lot of the sorrow or the anger or the guilt or the negative emotions in life as well as the positive ones right and i didn't really have much else to place it on right and have a higher power and if we look at you know, collective healing groups such as AA or, 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 you know, Narcotics Anonymous, right? One of the most beautiful things of these groups is that, um, there's this collective unity and collective healing in believing in something greater than ourselves, right? And to start that process, there's often an admittance of, uh, something having power over you. Let's say it's a drug, right? Like alcohol or like an opiate, right? And within that admittance is the acceptance of like, I therefore like, am not in total control of everything in my universe, right? And so there's a there's a let go of something, right? And there's sort of a connection with spirit in that. And um, there, that's one of the, you know, we statistically studied this in counseling and psychology is that people heal, uh, have a lot greater factor of, of not relapsing and, and remaining in recovery um, if they believe in something greater than themselves, right? It doesn't, it's not a requirement, but it certainly does help. And so there's clinical evidence to state that. And, I, and that has to be true to the normal human being too, that's not uh, actually in recovery because we all have very similar brains. We we behave in addictive patterns, whether that be a drug addiction or a behavioral addiction, right? Because um, we learn these patterns over time. And so part of me rectifying the unhealthy behavioral patterns is connecting with something greater than myself where I can you know, put a little bit less pressure 
on, I have to get this right every time to be a lovable human being. So I 100% agree with you, Nico. I think AANA are powerful in reawakening our natural spirituality to be in relationship with our Mm -hmm. higher power. Mm -hmm. And what I think is terribly painful is that in our society today, so many of us have to suffer and be in AA or NA with a lot of pain in our lives before we're given license in the first person natural way to say, hey, I need to hand this over. I need to turn to something bigger than myself. Well, we are built, we're hardwired the day we're born to be in relationship to something bigger in ourselves, to be in relationship to something loving and holding and guiding. So can we back that process up? you know, before the addiction, before the onset, before the first use, all the way back to childhood and help every child, every teen, every adult, everybody know that we are hardwired to be in relationship, to hand it over, to turn to our higher power. We are literally wired in our brain. It is inborn that we are designed to be in relationship to our higher power so that we can lean on something bigger than ourselves, and we can be loved and held. Now, that language is beautifully shared in AA. It is beautifully realized in NA, but it is almost absent in the classroom, the boardroom, entertainment. Where where do you hear it? And you are bringing this forward, and it is such a blessing because having this depth of conversation says to everyone, you have a birthright. Build your natural spiritual awareness, relational spirituality is literally a circuit in your brain ready for you to push go. Hmm. You know, it, it's really interesting to me because I feel like as I listen to you speak, there's more like things clicking in my mind. And, you know, I think for a lot of very analytical, pragmatic thinkers, you know, it once you've you know, studied so much and gone down the the you know, large rabbit hole of like Western academia, you can really get lost in pragmatism in a way, right? And so a lot of people will be like, well, it's not, it doesn't make sense. Like, why do we need that? You know, it's not, it's not really, there's nothing tangible about it, like to, to my perceptions. So why do I have, it's, isn't it just a waste of time, right? And when I look at the health of culture and society, I feel like when we, when we've been so dissociated from uh, connecting with a greater purpose that connects sort of all life, we we really start to individualize to the point where we become, we, we sort of perpetuate a narcissistic culture, right? It's about me, 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 right? And I think that's really going on right now. And I'm curious when we, when we look about like cross-faith relationships or how to coexist with different spiritual practices, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about, you know, when I have my own spiritual belief system, whether that's steeped in a, 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 main religion or in my own sort of thing that I've, that I've made up to serve me. How do we communicate with people of other spiritual practices, coexist, respect their faith, even though it's not ours, you know, where do we find that, that middle ground? Because a lot of people, you know, they can't, it seems like they can't communicate. And so they refrain from even developing a belief system because they think it's going to otherize people. Mm, mm. Yes. Right. So I feel like our conversation now is being held in the language of life, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, one wouldn't necessarily know what religion I grew up in or what religion you grew up in. We are squarely sharing in the deep language of life. And I think when we tell our stories, our sacred stories, 
there's a profound resonance. And in fact, there's nothing I'd rather hear than one sacred story. It's, it's the deepest gift we can give. And very often, you know, it doesn't matter what faith tradition we're from, they're deeply common and shared. They are about the visitation of an ancestor. They are about knowing before something happened. They're about being at risk and then somehow held and rescued. There's profound spiritual experiences and they resonate very deeply. So I think of the idea of being spiritually multilingual, where no matter what faith tradition you might be from, when you tell me your story, it can resonate in my heart. And if we back, back, back that up through the lens of science, well, yes, because we there's one spiritual brain. There's one spiritual heart, so to speak, and we all have it. And of course, there's human variability, just like there's variability in math or music or anything else, but we all have it. We all have the same foundational neuro seat of transcendent awareness. Mm-hmm. And so your story, I mean, may we share stories? Do you want to share stories? Absolutely. Okay. Do you want to go first? Or do you yeah, want me you to sh- go first? I would like you to go first. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? Okay. Um, well, I share um, the story of finding our children. Shall I share that? Sure. Okay. Um, my husband and I had been married six years, six years. And we said, you know, we have the jobs we want to have. We're living where we want to live. We have nice friends. But somehow it just felt it was time. We'd like to start a family. We'd like to have children. And so we did what couples do. We went to the Caribbean. <laughs> and there in the Caribbean, we had a lovely time. We came back and it was clear within a few weeks, no, we were not parents. So we said, well, let's take another vacation. Let's go to Mexico. We went to Mexico and still nobody came. And after about six months of this approach, I had this sinking feeling that nobody was coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was actually a little bit terrifying. And so I went to a doctor and I said, you know, um, we want to have kids. It's been now eight months and I'm wondering if you could help us. And they checked me out and checked him out and said, you are both fine. We should be able to get you both pregnant. And yet six months goes by, another year goes by, and nobody's come. Mm. And I'm starting to have this very depressing sense of dread, like, oh, no, what if no one is coming at all? Mm -hmm. And so I started feeling a little despairing, and we ramped it up, did IVF, you know, in vitro fertilization, and no one came. And I said, well, I just need, you know, I'm a scientist. I need to research this more fully. I need to find the labs and the teams and the doctors with the highest success rate. And instead of being here, let's go to another town. We're going to go to Boston. And so we go there and same story. It's getting more and more depressing. Every time we hope we're pregnant and then we're not, it starts to feel like the death of this tiny little embryo, like a funeral. It starts to feel like a funeral. And my husband starts getting very depressed. He's lying on the floor, arms out. Our lives are hollow and meaningless without children, really. And I'd never seen him express despair and vulnerability in that way. Mm -hmm. So we keep going and I research it more. And here's the team that invented in vitro using sea urchins. And and this will do it. And same thing, pat me on the back, him on the back. You're healthy. We'll get you pregnant. And no one comes. And so finally, we're sitting there side by side after the 11th in vitro. And we're in a hotel, my husband by my side out of solidarity. 
And we noticed that in this really overpriced hotel, the remote only yields one channel. We're like, well, how could that be? And we're poking the TV and punching. There's one channel. And what is that channel? For four straight hours, it was a documentary of an orphan, mm. a little boy alone living in a garbage dump. And through the translator, he says, I don't care that I can't go to school. I don't care that I live here in a garbage dump. But it hurts so much to not be loved that I sniff glue to make the pain go away. So here we are on our 11th in vitro, mourning our childlessness. And there's a little boy before our face saying, all I want is to be loved. All I want is a parent. I felt like he was pointing right through the screen at us. We had our own limitations. Our own egotism had kept us from giving love to this little boy. He could have been our child. And once we got that picture, I mean, my husband turned over and he said, you know, there's a child out there for us. We started on a journey mm-hmm. and that changed our whole lives. That was a synchronicity. And that is the type of synchronicity, the reorienting that the yellow door is about. And when we add that sort of deep dynamic relationship, what is life showing me now? What is spirit, God, source telling me now? And open up to what comes next, we go deeper and deeper into our spiritual path. Um, and in our case, um, there started, there came a mystical experience. I mean, may, may I share a bit more? I'd love to. Yeah, please. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in bed and we're feeling very down and out, but sort of getting a little bit of hope that maybe there is a child out there for us. One night I shoot up, I literally wake up in the middle of the night and we lived, as you can see in the thick forest, but this glow came before me and opened up space and time. It was numinous and it felt very good and very bright and uplifting and space and time opened and a presence came. And the presence said, if you were pregnant, would you adopt? If you were pregnant now, would you adopt? And I said, well, I I mean, it's such an honest moment. I said, no, no, I wouldn't. And the presence pulled back and space and time closed. And it was very still and dark and quiet. We continued on our journey. And one of my trail angels is my mother. And she calls one day and she says, honey, it's mom. I just wanted you to know our neighbor just adopted the most beautiful little boy. His name is Joseph John from Russia. And I just wanted to let you know, bye, (laughs) trail angel. And I think, well, okay. And we do find a clergyman's daughter who's going to help us find our child. We travel, excuse me, we travel to another city. And on the walls of her office are all of these beautiful families come together through adoption. You know, children who are two, children who are 14, all these beautiful families on bikes, on a picnic at Christmas. And she looks at me and she says in a very practical way, what is it you want in a child? And I said, well, I said, I don't care if this is a boy or a girl. I certainly don't care what race they are, or where they're from, but please, a child who can love. And my husband says, well, yes, all that, but kind of a girl. And I jumped in again. I'm like, no, 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 just a child who can love. And we leave, we go on our way. And my cousin calls. My name is Lisa Jane. My cousin's name is Jane. She's big Jane. I'm little Jane, about a decade her junior. 
And she said, you know, Miss Columbia professor, you think you're so smart. I mean, Nico, nobody talks to me this way. <laughs> but if you think you really want to know about healing and you really want to find your child, you've got to just get out of your office and your books and come out here to a real healing ceremony. Come here to South Dakota. There will be a Lakota healing ceremony. So I cancel my entire week of meetings. I get on a plane because Big Jane called. I go out to South Dakota. And there in the Anipi, the healing ceremony, I am invited to join a group of women, the sweat lodge. And the medicine man's wife is running the ceremony. And everyone has come dressed appropriately except me. I look like this odd outsider. And she looks at me and says, Wananichi, which is God, I don't know who this woman is and I don't know why she's come. But I do see that she has come. So please let me help her. It was the most beautiful form of inclusivity I'd ever seen. And we went then around the circle. And each woman, each Lakota woman spoke of why she had come to the Anipi. And the first woman said, my son is 14 and he's getting into drugs and it worries me. And the next woman says, my son is 40 and he's not coming home. Can we pray for him? We went around and each woman told why she'd come for her son. And then we hit Big Jane by my side. And Big Jane said, this is my cousin, little Jane. And she's come looking for her child. I'm wondering if we could help her. And all of the women nodded and understood. And I, for the first time, felt I was in the right place. Instead of all these, you know, treadmill of medical doctors. I knew I was almost home. And then we prayed and we prayed for each other, but we also prayed for us in collective, like the group. And it, we, when we prayed and she put out the fire whoosh, in my mind's eye, you could see the prayer go up through the Anipi. And that very night, Nico, that very night, a call came from Russia and the call was from the clergyman's daughter. And she said, we have found the Miller's child. We have beautiful girls because we know Mr. Miller kind of wanted a girl. But this is the Miller's child. And this is a son praying for sons. It was very sacred. It was through time and space, certainly too improbabilistic to have happened by chance. It was sacred. So I came home. I'm sleeping. I feel such love. I'm feeling the soaring love. But I still wonder, well, maybe in the last minute I'll get pregnant. <laughs> and the presence comes. Time and space open in the numinous. And the presence asks, if you were pregnant now, would you adopt? And again, one would never fib. I mean, it was very profound presence. And I said, I'm getting closer to the person who loves like a parent. But no, I'm not there yet. And we move forward. And finally, the video comes and I can't wait. I open it up. I put it in. I look at the video and there's this little boy shine, like literally a sunbeam. Da, da, da with his arm around the nurse, full of joy. And my heart, just a tidal wave of love pours out through my heart. And in that moment, my spiritual son has come and I became someone who loves in this powerful way that is a parent. And if you might've sensed that night, that night that I saw him, I met him, my spiritual son, the presence came a third time. And the time and space opened, the numinous bright feeling, if you were pregnant now, would you adopt? Ab 
Absolutely. Of course, the soaring love, certain beyond, I have found my spiritual child, my spiritual child. And then that night, that same night, my husband and I conceived his spiritual twin. After five years of tears, after five years of failed medical procedures, the night we found our spiritual son, we conceived a girl, kind of a girl, his twin. So that is a story that is based entirely on the part of our birthright that is in dialogue with spirit and dialogue with God guiding us. We didn't get what we wanted. We got something so much better than what we wanted. And I think that's how life is made. We don't get what we want. We get something better and more right. That gave me goosebumps. Um, Wow. What a powerful story. Um, You know, I can, I can reiterate experiences like that in my life. And I think the one that comes to mind is, and a lot of people can relate to this too, um, is that, you know, my last relationship, um, when it ended for the second time, I so badly more than anything wanted it to continue. Right. And so I was trying everything to force it, to manipulate it, to coerce it into continuing, not just the other person, but just like putting energy out there. Like this is my partner. This is the one, right? People talk about this a lot, right? This is the only one that can love me. I'm supposed to be with this person. This is meant to be, and it's not continuing. Um, you know, cause I was the one that ended the relationship. Um, even if I was aware of the, the mistakes I'd made, I want to change myself. I want to change these things. It's going to get better. Right. And that partner never came back. And as time went on, and I started to accept the lessons and, and try to understand, you know, my role in this function that I was trying to resist sort of what was being offered to me. And that was causing more pain and more suffering, right? Instead of just experiencing the loss and grieving. Um, once I started to, to separate from that, people started to come into my life that w- really loved me, right? That like accepted me for who I was, saw all the work I'd done on myself as a man and began to love me and help me heal even more. And so this resistance I had to what I wanted so much, right? I just, I wanted this person so much to be the person in my life, right? To share the rest of my life with. I ended up getting what I needed, which was people that saw me for who I was, that were also givers wow. that could see what I was seeing. And that has, that has continued, wow. really. It's truly continued. And so I, I have less of a feeling of like, I need to have this or that person in my life and more of an appreciation for the people that have stayed in my life, that are present in my life, you know, and knowing that there isn't the one, there is a lot of different things that could, you know, happen in our lives. And I'm appreciative for each of the experiences, even the, even the negative ones, even the ones that are hard to sit with, even the ones that cause pain and cause suffering. And it's not, I don't think it's as profound as what you shared, Dr. Miller, but I think that, you know, people can relate to it as well too, where we get so fixated on, you know, this this thing that we we want so bad and then we become depressed or anxious or resentful or angry over it and we stop to accept what is and often when we can just pull back a little bit like what is sort of what we need is kind of laid out in front of us and you're right we don't always get what we want well i mean standing back here you know nico in your presence you really do see us for who we are and who, how we'd want to be seen. So uh, having heard that, heard that beautiful story from out here, it feels like not only are you seen, but you are present and seeing people 
as they truly are. You have very clear eyes and it's so powerful. It's really embracing this, this spiritual sacred world, this beautiful, wonderful world when you can experience it openly with open eyes, open heart. Beautiful. Dr. Miller, uh, it's always so incredible talking to you. I, I wish I could just live on your side of, side of the country and have coffee or tea with you and get to sit down and, and just absorb, um, the warmth that you have. Because, uh, obviously, like, you know, for people that, that see you, you have this tremendous mother energy that I think is just very, uh, soothing, but also like you being a teacher and specifically you working with spirituality and being a scientist, like there are so many, things to learn from the, you know, how you've been living your life and what you're teaching people. And, um, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for coming back on and, and speaking with me. It's, it's just such an honor to, to share time with you. Um, and just to listen to your stories and hear some of your wisdom and, uh, yeah, really, you know, just even just sitting here, just, just watching you speak, just listening to you speak, you know, there's, there's an energy in your voice that, um, is just so authentic and meaningful that I feel like that's why people buy your book and why people study what you write. It's because that voice comes through the pages. You're very, very generous, Nico. And what I'd like to say is that you are so authentic and pure that the power of spirit through you just radiates, it emanates forward. And because you walk the walk of which you explore, right? You speak and share and then you live it. You really walk the walk. There's a resonance and a power in your being and in your gift of your program that is awakening for all who listen. It is in a very gracious, humble way. You are a teacher. Oh, thank you so much. I, I really, that's a, that's an incredible compliment to receive from you, but that's really what I feel like because I do feel like a teacher, but I also feel like a, um, you know, lifelong student too, because yeah, I don't think you can Beautiful. teach what if you stop learning right you have to get oh, here to here i'm with you on that <laughs> definitely Absolutely. definitely and Beautiful. it's a wondrous journey i think and i think the only thing that really can be taught is a stance in walking the path because we don't really know what comes next right <laughs> beautiful dr miller thank you so much um can you tell people uh where to find you on social media how do they get in touch with your work uh where can they buy your book you know how do they how do they get to know more about you and more about your teachings the Awakened Brain is seen on any Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. And the Awakened Brain is really both stories and practices like we've been sharing. And then the science that reflects through the lens of empiricism, the deep inner spiritual journey we're on. And so the Awakened Brain is there online. And our Instagram is ampersand, <laughs> Dr. Lisa Miller. And I would be delighted to connect with your community. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Miller. Foremost you, Nico. Foremost you. you. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful to see you again. Uh, I definitely want to have you back on eventually. Um, and again, thank you so much for your time. It's a joy. Much goodness. I wish people could realize all their dreams and wealth and fame and, so that they could see that it's not where you're going to find your sense of completion. Everything you gain in life will rot and fall apart and all that will be left of you is what was in your heart, in your heart, in your heart.